name of Jesus, amen. Great to see everyone this morning. A beautiful gospel lesson for us to think about. Let's remember these words. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. And then after the disturbance caused by the unclean spirit, Jesus simply said, be quiet and come out of him. This gospel lesson about the authority of Jesus is very special and very important, beautiful part of the epiphany season as Jesus reveals himself as the Son of God and Savior and now this one who speaks the ultimate truth that the whole world needs to hear. And also this exorcism which reminds us that we live in a world where there, is, there are many who are vying for authority. But as we stand back as Christians and watch all of this taking place every day and every week, what this gospel lesson reminds us is that this struggle is a lot deeper than just people vying with one another for authority. This is a d- divine and demonic struggle. A struggle between God's authority and the authority of the devil. So in this message I want to speak about demons. I want to talk about how they can hurt us. This especially this demonic authority. And finally what we do as Christians about it. Now if you were to be with a group of typical people in our community and if the subject of demons and the devil came up and you said you believed in them, Uh, Of course, there would be some Christians who would agree with you and see that as a a very important way to view the world. Uh, There would be another group of people, however, who would look at you as though you were the most ignorant, backward hillbilly there ever could be. And these are the materialists. These are people who are convinced there is nothing in this world other than the material things that you can detect with your senses. They have trouble with that narrow-minded view of the world. It explains some things, but there's a lot that it doesn't explain well, especially the obvious higher intelligence constantly being revealed to us in the creation around us. It doesn't explain, well, what is the difference between right and wrong and good and evil. But then there would be this third group of people. Now, these are the people, if hearing that you believed in demons would smile and say, yes, I do too. And also gnomes and fairies and avatars and all kinds of other mythical creatures. What this group doesn't realize is that hiding within their fantasies are real evil things. The Nicene Creed begins with the first article similar to the Apostles' Creed but adds this one little part. We believe in God the Father who made all things visible and invisible. And the invisible things, at least some of those that God made, were the angels. And in different places the Bible tells us that somehow within that group of angels there was a rebellion, a civil war of sorts. And John in his revelation tells us, chapter 12, there was no place for them in heaven. And so they're here with us on earth. These evil angels are the opposite of God's holy and good angels. They oppose God where the good angels serve God. They destroy life whereas holy angels support life. And they try to destroy faith 
whereas God's holy angels are there to strengthen us in our faith. Now, you may ask, I've never seen a demon or an angel, so how can I be sure that they exist? You know, the Bible tells us that there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels, good angels. Not so many as far as the evil angels go, at least as what we can detect from the Bible. Later on in the Gospels, we'll run into this demon that Jesus casts out in Gadara near Galilee, who calls himself Legion, for we are many. It isn't though as though the comparison is the same. It appears that there are many, many more good angels and that these evil angels are, are, are more like spiritual terrorists. They don't have the power to overthrow the kingdom of God by any means, but they have the power to tempt and they have the power to persecute. They have the power to trouble and to cause fear. We are all, on the other hand, the beneficiaries of God's holy angels. I, I think that when we get to heaven, one of the joys and perhaps reasons for us to praise God eternally might be if God would let us look back on life and see how many times his holy angels were really there protecting us and watching over us. The Bible tells us that children especially are the beneficiaries of these holy angels. Jesus says their angels always see the face of my father. You can't be possessed by an evil angel. I want to dismiss that notion right off the bat. 1 John 4, 4 tells us, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And Paul in Romans 8 assures us that there is nothing in all of this creation that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. They can oppress, they can afflict, they can cause many much harm to believers, but they cannot invade our hearts and take over things for us. As we saw as one way they work in the Capernaum synagogue. But there are other ways that they work. Other ways that this demonic authority can affect us. One is physical. Job is the great example of this in the Bible where he destroys Job's family, he destroys his farm, he works on destroying his own body so that he could finally get to his faith but in the end God protected him in another place we read of a woman who is bent over she can't stand up straight and she's like this for 18 years and Jesus heals her and Jesus says she was bound by Satan Paul tells us of another kind of demonic authority in the world that is around us and that would be the worship of false gods in first Corinthians chapter 10 Paul says that the things Gentiles sacrifice that is their worship is a sacrifice not to God but to demons and I know the pressure is upon us to view all religions and all worship as valid and worshiping the one true God but that's not at all the case this God is one, you might say, but not the God of the Bible. He is anything but the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons and yet one God. And the salvation of this God is anything but the salvation of the gospel through repentance and forgiveness and the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul urges us to have no fellowship with demons in that, those kinds of worship forms. Now, 
I have not seen anyone possessed, at least as far as I can tell, anyone possessed by an unclean spirit, thankfully. It doesn't mean it can't happen. I have seen the pressure to accept other religions as valid, but at least in this country, so far we have the freedom to call evil what it is without persecution. That's not the way it is in many countries, unfortunately, and we need to pray for those people. But I would like to zero in a little bit on this last way that I see the authority of this underworld at work in our world today. Paul talks about it in his first letter to Timothy, the fourth chapter. Listen carefully to these words. The Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. This is the kind of thing that I see happening so much around us. Doctrines, false doctrines, which need to be called out for what they are, the doctrines of demons, lies and hypocrisy, and people with no conscience at all, unfolding one lie after another as if the truth does not matter. They want nothing to do with Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God, as the demon in uh, the Capernaum synagogue calls him. Rather, they present this imaginary Jesus who amazingly agrees with everything they want to do, every sin that they want to practice. And this God covers up through these demonic doctrines important truths of creation, of sexuality, of marriage, of family, of self-sacrifice, of generosity, of God's mercy and of God's righteousness. And to some of us, at first, it might appear almost to be insane or crazy, but it is not. It's intelligent, and that's what makes it so insidious. Clever arguments that sway millions of people. This is a different authority. Notice in the bulletin the little definition. This is the first definition you'll find in Webster's Dictionary for the word authority. It is the power to influence command thought, opinion, or behavior. And this is really what the Christian church, at least in our part of the world, is up against. What the devil cannot accomplish with the sword, as so often happens in other parts of the world, he gladly will accomplish with the tongue of the seared conscience. And so what are we to do about all of this? This is why this epiphany gospel, the Capernaum, a synagogue is so important for us. Jesus is there teaching with authority, and that's where we zero in on his teaching. And even though this teaching is disrupted, we then notice the next thing Jesus does. He performs an exorcism. Seven words in English, five in Greek. Be quiet and come out of him. This is really our ultimate response to the doctrine of demons. We can't really debate it when it is obviously coming from such an evil source, but we can rebuke it. Later on this week, I urge you to go to our website. I'm going to be uploading my notes to an old Bible study that I led last fall titled The Reality of Evil. And in this Bible study, I talk about Lutheran exorcism, Christian exorcism. 
Uh, it, you might be surprised there's nothing there about candles and crucifixes and holy water and things like that. Most of that is actually nonsense. What a real exorcism is, is just two things. It is a rebuke of evil, a calling it out for what it is, and it is a prayer. A prayer for deliverance. The seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. And that is really the response that we need to keep in mind as we think about the authority of Jesus. That exorcism begins in our own hearts. It began last night. We had a baptism of a little boy. And the very first question we ask in that baptism is, do you renounce the devil and all his works and all his ways? Because in baptism, Holy Spirit is coming in and faith is beginning through the word and the power of God. And that is a casting out of evil and an entering in of God's holiness and grace. It continues in our life of confession as we confess our sins and focus on our failures. That is a kind of constant exorcism, a pushing away of evil from our lives. It continues as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Paul tells us this is a fellowship of the body and blood of Christ, not a fellowship of demons. And while we are surrounded by a world that pressures us to conform to the authority of the seared conscience, God has given us instead a clear conscience in forgiveness and purity. So what do we do when we are confronted by those with consciences like this, who speak with lies and hypocrisy over and over and over again? Well, one thing we don't do is demonize them. Demons are demons and people are people. And this is one of the valuable lessons that we're learning here, is that these things are not just, these are more than human problems, they are deeper than that. And we distinguish between the two. It would be interesting to note that every single person from whom a demon was cast out in the New Testament, as far as we can tell, became a disciple of Jesus. And so we look at all people with love and with the potential of their conversion, their exorcism, just as we have been exorcised of evil by the grace of God. And we pray that what has controlling their conscience would be taken away, that we would not be drawn into the hatred of the seared conscience. There are many who want to come between us and the divine authority of Jesus. And our humble and simple response is simply a rebuke for what it is and a prayer to be delivered from it as well. To seek those things, especially the teaching authority of Jesus, the holy angels of God to protect us, to increase our love for God and God's love for the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. We rise.